Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Uh, joining me today is Nate Lackman, the partner at the law firm Foley and Lardner and chair of its national telemedicine and digital health industry team. Uh, Nate is also a member of the board of directors of the American Telemedicine Association and probably one of the closest guests that we've had since I'm in St. Pete and he's in Tampa, Florida. So Nate, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jared. Go uh, Tampa Bay. I love it. I move. I moved down here from Boston, and then all the teams start winning down here. And I'm not saying it's related, but it, it was definitely uh, well aligned. But uh, I'm excited to have you on, Nate. Been a fan of yours for a while, and your firm. And uh, I'm excited to dive into some cool topics with you today. Uh, just in case someone doesn't know who you are, uh, could you give us the quick uh, rundown on your background, and then tell us a little bit about Foley Lardner? Sure. TLDR is I'm a telemedicine digital health lawyer. Uh, I think uh, Foley has been around for almost 200 years, 1,200 lawyers across the country and some offices overseas. I've been practicing law a little over 18 years, um, last 10 of which has been almost exclusively telemedicine and virtual care. <clears throat> so it's fair to say we probably have more lawyers um, who do this on our team than any law firm in the country, uh, namely representing purely telemedicine digital health companies. And uh, I'm really proud of what we built. Uh, we work with a variety of uh, provi typically providers, tech-enabled service providers, whether they're hospitals or academic medical centers, um, tons of venture and private equity-backed startups, or uh, decentralized clinical trials, remote patient monitoring, remote therapeutic monitoring, and the like. So we have a team of different SMEs uh, located around the country, and we work together collaboratively uh, to help uh, solve the client's issues more in a consultative model. So working with us is a bit more like working with a consulting firm saying, what are your goals and your strategies? And let's find the answers um, rather than just give you a barf up a bunch of the laws. Like we, yes, we know the laws and we incorporate that into our advice, but it's a highly interactive experience to help like bring you along to where your goals are. So I find it personally rewarding. Yeah, it's it's definitely nice when uh, you know your lawyers can can actually give you actionable, you know, consultative advice, not just regurgitate like you were mentioning the the laws um it's that's that's a nice pairing um one one of the things i was really excited about in in bringing you on one of the questions i wanted to ask was around the the current environment for venture capital and digital health um it's a, a topic i hear a lot about i hear a variety of opinions uh on linkedin and across the board and just from people uh, venting what they think is going to happen, but I feel like you are uh, more qualified than most to be able to, you know, give us give us an honest opinion on, you know, what should we expect? What are you seeing? Sure, Mappy, I'll give you an honest opinion, but it's still just one person's opinion. Um, I think that we've certainly moved from a stage of growth only to sustainability. So I don't think that a lot of venture firms are saying you have to be profitable day one or immediately, but they want to have more of a short-term or direct path to profitability. Um, so we've seen that manifest in what's called now as RIFs, right? Reductions in forces, seems fancier way of calling it layoffs. Um, so companies could right-size their, their P&L um, sheets and uh, less time and money invested in growth and acquisition plays um, 
uh, and you've seen that in less advertising spending on DTC and on the social media platform. So it has a knock-on effect throughout the e-commerce industry. So that's what we've seen. That doesn't, and then uh, you hear these anecdotal stories about, oh, you know, the valuations are lower, and it may be uh, the venture capitalists are all in Europe on holiday, and they're unavailable during the summer, and then this significant uptick in memes by the the VCs themselves, including hiring out third parties to write their tweets and memes for them. All of that is fun, and it's uh, uh, gossipy, but it's just noise, okay? If you are a startup founder, uh, whatever stage, remember the venture capital firm, venture deployment can be cyclical, right? And it may be in a recessionary period that LPs are less inclined to further invest or reinvest in funds. But funds typically have a 10 or 12 year lifespan, right? And they have a deployment schedule usually of two to four years of when they close that fund. Tons, billions of dollars were raised in 2019, 2020, and 2021 um, before we've seen this sort of uh, temporary shutting off the valve. So the venture capital firms have raised all of this money for from limited partners for the purpose of investing in telemedicine digital health companies. They are fiduciarily and contractually obligated to deploy that money, and they have every financial interest to do so as well. So what I look like in it as, so that means there's a bunch of dry powder still there that must go out before, let's say that two or four year cycle ends. You know, you could extend it a little bit, but no, it's part of the thesis. They, they need to invest in this tranche of companies at this date and time. So I think a founder should take comfort in that. Um, mo most nefarious angle, you'd say, well, it almost seems as if all the venture capital firms suddenly agreed to stop investing because the valuations just got so high. Let's wait for it to simmer down, and then their dollar will go further. They'll get more bang for their buck um, in terms of amount of equity they get uh, for how much they have to spend. Also, like a recessionary period, any type of downturn in the venture capital or the startup environment is just look at it as if you're inflating a balloon and you got to take a breath once in a while. You really have to in order for it to have the power for additional growth. So. Uh, Although venture seems like it moves really fast and it has in these last few years, the life cycle of a venture capital investment is actually, as an alternative product is actually quite long. Your money is highly illiquid um, uh, for what could be a decade. And so the LPs have a different sense of time and horizon. The VC investors have a different sense of time and horizon. The ones with the most sense of urgency are the founders themselves. So if they can try to take a step back and have some perspective saying that, this will be okay. There is actually money out there that has previously been raised earmarked for a company like mine. I think they can take some real comfort in that and realize, okay, I might not get a, a billion dollar valuation, but maybe I shouldn't have got a billion dollar valuation. Anyhow, let me get something that's not so much money. I'll, I'll choke on it, but is right for what the needs of the company are right now. Professional services of any nature, including medical healthcare are exceedingly difficult to scale at speed, no matter how much technology enabling power you, you add to them. So it is just fine to have a very robust, healthy growth uh, pattern for uh, a telemedicine company. And it does not have to meet the growth pattern you would have for, I don't know, selling in-app purchases on, on, a, on a gamified Candy Crush. Really, they're just very different metrics. So I think it's a bright future. I think there's plenty of, uh, you know, fuel out there to fire further growth.
Yeah, I think, um, you know, no matter what someone thinks about the space, what what it did what it did at, to a certain degree was it eliminated some of the companies that probably had no business. Uh, they weren't able to raise that next round of funding, but maybe they shouldn't have been able to raise the first round of funding. Um, you know, when you look at some of these companies out there, uh, there's there's only a handful of um, you know in every every space, especially within healthcare. There's a lot of companies in each kind of individual segment, but there's only a, a handful of the companies that are truly moving forward, um, innovating and creating, you know, these, these great pr- uh, platforms that help patients. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what continues to happen with the space, uh, as well, but thank you so much, by the way, for, for that breakdown. Uh, I love, I love hearing that. Uh, look, there's a fundamental supply demand and I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. There's a fundamental supply demand imbalance in America between the patients who need care and the amount of companies or providers available to deliver the care. So you want to talk about like TAM or product market fit. It's just like, this seems obvious, right? And the, the thesis of most venture is that 80 to 90% of all of these companies will fail, right? But in the process of failing and trying to find that fit, they're going to help change the way the world is for the better. And some companies will be winners, right? Uh, financially, um, who might not have really moved the needle clinically. Whereas other first movers will be like, this company was the very first to do it. Nobody knows about them because although they paved the roads, they didn't collect the tolls on those roads. But that type of pattern of innovation has truly existed for centuries. If you look back into when England first cut uh, little river channels uh, through the countryside to fuel the factories, it was not the people who invested to create those river pathways who made all the money. It was the factories who were built subsequent upon them. So I do think that from a mission perspective as well, um, telemedicine digital health founders, as well as the venture capitalists who support them are doing the right thing. One of the other things, Nate, I wanted to dive into with you uh, today was uh, the topic of the public health emergency. So when this ends, I want to know, you know, do you think it'll create a significant downturn uh, specifically in the telemedicine industry? I think we can't ignore the reality that if you turn off Medicare coverage of certain services that are used, it will um, inhibit people from using those services, right? Uh, Not everybody on Medicare is really wealthy and can afford to pay out of pocket for care. So if you take these audio only phone calls that are currently covered under the PHE waivers and discontinue them like CMS has proposed that it will do, there will be a cohort of people who just don't get care because they don't have the bandwidth or they don't have smartphones, they feel it's complicated. The doctors are not gonna uh, deliver it. The audio only is an example that that's not even something the doctor would be allowed to charge cash, probably. It would be covered, but not separately billable, i.e. a provider liable service. So yeah, uh, on the reimbursement, when there's less gasoline, the cars just don't drive as far. But uh, I think on the whole, the public health emergency in COVID did not create the telemedicine industry. What it did was accelerate the pace that this technology was already being adopted at and accelerated it really, really quick. But it's been around for like three years already. So we've been operating under these so-called temporary waivers for three years, which seems to me like a lifetime. And many of these have already been baked into the normal um, course of medical practice, like the relationships and the business models. Those are not going to go away uh, just because some rule waivers do. I think uh, the ones that we're paying the most amount of attention to outside of Medicare 
uh, our licensing, uh, although most of the states have already eliminated their license waivers. I think we could see some more activity on state-by-state -state agreements for continuity of care exceptions for follow-up care, being able to do that interstate without uh, needing to be licensed. And then controlled substance prescribing via telemedicine with the DEA under the Ryan Hyde Act. That's one thing that in particular has taken way too long. It was 13 or 14 years ago, the DEA should have put out this regulation. Uh, it was legally required to by Congress and the president in Trump's administration. I think by 2019, they were supposed to have published the rule uh, by federal congressional demand and, and they didn't. So I'm expecting them to do so. We don't know when, um, but that will be, there is a subset of patients who are relying on controlled substance prescribing for important medicated, medication assisted therapy who will not be able to realize that if the telehealth cliff hits without the DEA having a solution in place. That's probably the one that um, I think gives me the most personal concern because uh, you've already seen like in the New York Times this morning or yesterday morning ran an article about how there's shortages in Adderall supply chain uh, just globally. Uh, increases in mental health awareness, increases in access to healthcare are a good thing, but medication assisted treatment is also very important for some patients. It's, it, it's not, from my understanding, it's not clinically appropriate to say, you know what, just uh, try harder and uh, uh, focus on the positive and be more organized. That's not how folks can clinically address some of their mental health needs best. So I do think it's incumbent on DA to make a change there. Well, Nate, I, uh, I want to have you on again because you just provide such great uh, explanations and snapshots of kind of where we're at uh, in the industry. Um, but, you know, it was an absolute pleasure having you on for the first time. I can't wait to have you on again and uh, can't wait to connect to some of the upcoming events in person, which, uh, you know, it's always nice to, to meet people in person. But thank you again so much for, for being a guest. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'd love to do it again. Yeah, we'll see each other at Health in Las Vegas in November and hopefully at the ATA Edge Law and Policy Conference uh, in D.C. the first week of December. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Nate.